Uh, Last week, we looked at the travel instructions. This week, we're going to look at the trouble instructions. Um, As you'll see, when you go out on mission with Jesus, you do face troubles. And Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for those troubles. So let's read Jesus' trouble instructions from Matthew 16, verses 10 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Um, After our scripture readings, one of the things we've been doing lately is saying the word of the Lord and then saying thanks be to God. We do that because that's a traditional way of recognizing that God has been gracious and good to give us his word and that his word is good, right? So that's why we, we do that together. Uh, I want to I change it up a little bit. I want to modernize it a little bit. I'm going to say the word of the Lord, and, and then I just want you to say, thank you, Lord. Maybe that'll make it feel a little more natural. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. There you go. Let's pray that God would help us understand his word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. It is good. It is sweeter than the honey on the honeycomb. And so we pray that as we read it and meditate on it, you would help us taste and see that you are good and that your ways are good, even in difficult things like persecution. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Like some of you, I grew up in the era where we had to watch commercials. Like you were watching a TV show and the commercials came on and, and that's pretty much just what you did. You just had to endure the commercials, right? And so I, now that I don't have to do that and I can stream and skip and flip around, I don't like to endure the commercials. I just flip through. I just find something else. Well, my kids, they're growing up in an area. I don't know what it is about them. They don't have to watch the commercials, yet they want to watch the commercials. Every time they come on and I try to skip it, they're like, no, dad, we want to watch the commercials. I'm like, okay, I guess if y'all, if y'all want to be forced to this, subjected to this capitalism, then let's go ahead. We'll watch them together. Uh, <laughs> the com- one of the types of commercials that we really get a kick out of are the prescription drug commercials. Because they all kind of follow the same script, right? They come on and they tell you about this wonderful uh, medication that you can take that will solve all of your chronic pain and suffering. And they've got this nice, low, calming, soothing voice of people running and playing and eating and drinking. and Everything just looks perfect and idyllic. And that's about the first half of the commercial. And then the second half of the commercial, the voice speeds up really fast. And they start reading off all the negative side effects about this drug, right? 
this drug may cause drowsiness, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, sleep loss, hair loss. You might even think you're Batman and a whole bunch of other things, <laughs> right? And then it says, if these things happen, call your doctor, call your priest, call your pastor, call your friend, call 911, stop taking the drug. And they, they just breeze through all these things like, hey, you know, most people are going to be great, but there may be an unfortunate few that are going to suffer these terrible side effects. And if you do, this is what you're supposed to do, right? So we get a kick out of that. Well, as I was reading Jesus' instructions here about persecution, I thought to myself this week, and I was thinking about the gospel and the kingdom and all the stuff we've been talking about, and I thought, I think it's easy for us to look at these instructions kind of like those drug commercials, right? The gospel is this wonderful medication that can transform your life. It can heal you. It can change you. It can bring you life and love and joy and grace like nothing else. It's going to be an amazing drug. But there may be an unfortunate few that suffer this side effect called persecution. And if you do, this is what you're supposed to do. That's actually not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying is that persecution is not an unfortunate side effect of the gospel and following Jesus. Persecution is a necessary element of following Jesus and being on mission with him. Paul tells us that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus says here, right, that all will hate you because of my name. Persecution is a part of the Christian life of anyone that wants to live on mission with Jesus. Anyone that goes from just watching Jesus do ministry to actually participating in the ministry of Jesus and trying to live out in a godly life will suffer persecution. But the good news is this. Jesus tells us later in this sermon, I forgot to read it. I'll read it there. He says in verse 39, if you look there, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his, my, his life for my sake will find it. What we see is that persecution is the means by which we experience more life through Jesus. And the world actually can experience true life through Jesus as well. Persecution is the means by which the gospel goes forth and lives are transformed for Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at these trouble instructions, uh, what I want you to see is that Jesus has given us a, um, a perspective that endures persecution, a posture that endures persecution, and he's given us promises that endure persecution. And as we follow his instructions here, then we're going to experience true life, and the world will begin to experience true life as well. Kids, uh, listen for a doctor that came and sat with a man who was beaten. First thing we see in this passage is that Jesus gives us a perspective that endures persecution. If you look at verse 16, Jesus is honest. He says, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
And when you look at Jesus' ministry, especially right here in this little section, you see that Jesus has a very honest perspective about the world, right? In verse, uh, in 936, Jesus looks at these massive people that have gathered around him, and he says they are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. Uh, He cares for them. Uh, In verse 10.6, he describes them as lost sheep. So he's got compassion and care for these sheep. And yet here, what does he say in this verse? He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He's saying there's a side of humanity that is a helpless and harassed sheep that is lost and he's a shepherd. But there's also a side of humanity that's wolfish, that will turn on you and attack you. And this is consistent with what we see all throughout the Bible. The Bible actually has a unique, nuanced, complex view of humanity that the world doesn't share. The Bible says that man is created in the image of God, and because he's created in the image of God, he has inherent glory and power and dignity and wisdom and intelligence and skills that nothing else in creation has. And so man is capable of incredible good. But on the flip side of that, because sin has entered the world and corrupted man, his mind, his will, his emotions are all tainted by sin. So man is also capable of incredible evil. Man man and women are capable of being sheep and wolves. And because of the sinfulness that's broken our mind, will, and emotion, mankind rejects God as king, and they reject the message of the gospel, and they reject the messengers of the gospel. Look at verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. This is the very thing that happened to Jesus, right? That Jesus comes preaching this gospel of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He does all these wonderful miracles, He shows them that he is God and that he came to bring eternal life. And what do they do? They reject him. They beat him. They try him. They crucify him. And then what happens whenever his disciples go on mission in the book of Acts? What do we see? The same thing happens to them. They come sharing this good news of the gospel and they are rejected, beaten, tried, and killed. They suffer persecution. And nothing has changed. Throughout church history, the church has gone through waves of persecution where where the world and people in the world have rejected the king, they've rejected the kingdom, and they've rejected the message. Uh, If you want to get a picture of that, uh, a good way to do it probably would be to grab Fox's Book of Martyrs. Ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? Um, it, it is literally a history of martyrs in the Christian church throughout history, and it takes it by centuries. And so you can read through there, and you can literally see how through every century of the church's existence, the church has been rejected, and Christians have been killed and persecuted for their faith. And it's not just uh, the world out there. It's the world and the church has sometimes done it, and even families have sometimes done it. And, and Jesus predicts that here. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death, 
The father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. In the end, the world will hate the church because it hates Jesus. And Jesus summarizes that in verse 22. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. The world rejects the church and the gospel because they reject Jesus. Uh, Saul himself, uh, who was Paul, Paul was Saul, was a persecutor of the church. And whenever Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Paul persecuting? He was persecuting the church. Jesus is so identified with the church that when the church is persecuted, Jesus is persecuted. And Jesus is persecuted through the church. This This should give us a realistic perspective that will help us endure persecution. If, if you desire to live a godly life in Jesus, on mission for Jesus, at some point you will suffer persecution. You will, re, you will be rejected. It's happened all throughout church history and it's not gonna change now. It's just uh, uh, the way sin is, sin is insidious and it, it attaches onto things and it morphs and it transforms. And so throughout the history of the, of the world, it's taken different shapes, but it's still happening today. There are wolves that we face today. What are the individual community and cultural wolves that we face today? Because we face them. Maybe some of you who are thinking about becoming a Christian, you're thinking about... You, following Jesus. But you know that to follow Jesus, to give your life to him, would mean that you're going to have friends and family members reject you. And so you're being faced with individual wolves that are going to persecute you. Uh, There may be uh, people in this room, maybe you, who are going to hate you. They're going to slander you. They're going to judge you because you hold traditional biblical values on family, marriage, and sex. It's going to happen. You may have a neighbor that you're sincerely trying to love and care for, and they hear what you believe about those issues, and they reject you, and they hate you, no matter how kind you are, no matter how gracious you are to them. uh, Just by the fact that you believe in in the biblical view of, of sex and marriage, they're going to reject you, and they're going to persecute you. Uh, You may lose your job because uh, you hold to traditional Christian values. Uh, There was a a CEO of a, a, uh, I think it was a a rugby team in Australia who lost his job because he went to a Christian church that taught traditional biblical values on family and sex. And it cost him his job. That may happen to you. It may happen to us. It will on some level. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus gives us a perspective that will endure. And the reason why we endure this persecution is because we know that it will give life, that it will change lives. Uh, John Perkins is a great example of this. John Perkins is uh, one of the lesser known figures in the civil rights movement. Everybody knows about Martin Luther King Jr. John Perkins was lesser known, but a very important part of that. Uh, and his story is that he was uh, in, in the civil rights movement as he was growing up. He watched his, um, he watched his brother uh, killed outside of a theater. He, he, John Perkins was black. 
and he was killed because uh, a white mayor did not like him, and so they targeted him. And even though he was a, a soldier that just came home from war, he was killed. Uh, later on, John Perkins decided that he was going to participate in nonviolent protests. And during one of his nonviolent protests, he was captured, and he was beaten, and he was taken to jail. And as he sat in jail, he hated his captors, and he could feel the hatred in his heart. And then he thought to himself, you know what? If I hate them, then I'm no better than them. And when I get out of here, I want to preach a gospel of love that will overcome hate. That's what he did. He was a Baptist minister that preached a gospel of love that overcame hate. One time he was beaten so badly he was put in a hospital. And while he was in the hospital, a white doctor came and sat with him every day while he was on his deathbed. And he later said that the love of that doctor overcame the hate in his heart. That's the perspective that we've got to have on persecution. That we are going to go out in love with a message of love, trying to love people. And there will be people who will persecute us. But God will use it to bring life to them and to us. That's the perspective of persecution that endures. And the second thing Jesus gives us is a posture of persecution that endures. He tells us to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. How can we be as innocent as a dove? A dove is, is pure. It's, it's faultless. It's sinless. It's symbolic of, of faultlessness and sinlessness and purity. Well, uh, Peter, the, Peter who wrote his, the, the, the letter of 1 Peter, he elaborates on this. He explains what Jesus is talking about. And he tells us that obedience is twofold. One, it's obedience to God's word. That our posture in times of persecution is always obedience to God's word. It is always obedience to God's word. God's, God's word and his law are good things. They're good. We're not saved by law keeping. We are guided into a righteous and good life through God's word. Right? Peter goes on to tell us that we need to be obedient to civil authorities. He tells us to be subject to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors as sent by those who punish, those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should be put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. So he's saying obey God's word and even obey earthly authorities. When, when their laws do not contradict the word of God, then then. God calls us to follow those laws. And in following those laws, we're being as innocent as doves. And we can't be um, falsely accused. So Jesus tells us to be as innocent as doves. He also tells us to be as wise as a serpent. What does it mean to be as wise as a serpent? It means that we use our God-given courage and cunning to follow those laws in such a way is that God might use them to spread the gospel. Think about it this way. Um, Paul, if you, if you read through Acts, read through the second half of Acts, and you see Paul on his missionary journeys, you're going to see Paul go in and out of persecution. And sometimes he takes the beating, and sometimes he flees the beating. And sometimes he invites the beating. <laughs> and sometimes, like he did in Acts 25... 
He claims his rights as a Roman citizen so he doesn't have to go on trial in front of the Jews because he wants to go on trial in front of the Romans because he wants to share the gospel to the Romans. What is he doing? He's being as sure as a serpent. He's using the laws of the land in such a way as to promote the gospel to glorify God. Wherever you're being persecuted, whether it's with your family or at work or in the community, ask yourself, how can I be as innocent as dove? How can I follow the laws of God's laws and the laws of the land? But how can I use them in such a way as that God would advance the gospel? Another great example of this I, I found in the civil rights movement is a, uh, from a lady named uh, Clara Looper. Again, another uh, not well-known figure in the civil rights movement, but, but Clara Looper actually, um, it was pivotal in desegregating downtown Oklahoma City. Uh, and this is what she did. She, she worked with the NAACP Youth Council. And in uh, 1958, her and 13 youth went to Katz's drugstore in downtown Oklahoma City that was segregated. And they legally and peacefully sat down at the counter. They ordered hamburgers and Cokes. They gave them their money and they waited to be served. And the drugstore refused to serve them. And so they picked up their books and they read and they just sat at the counter. Well, all of the, the white people in the room who uh, obviously objected to this, they began hurling curse words at them, taunting them, bullying them, doing everything they could to intimidate and persecute these children and this woman. They sat there and they endured the entire time nonviolently. Eventually, they were escorted out of there and they left. But two days later, cats desegregated. And they held the same type of sit-ins in every restaurant in downtown or every eating establishment in downtown Oklahoma City. And by the time they were done, all of downtown Oklahoma City was desegregated. What were they doing? As innocent as doves and as wise as serpents. We can do all that and we'll still be rejected. Jesus tells us in verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. When you go to, you know, he told us this last week in the travel instructions. There's going to be places where you're going to go and you're going to be persecuted and people are going to reject you. And Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next town. That was a sign of saying this area is unclean. This area has rejected the gospel. They've rejected Jesus. Go on. Go to the next town. Go to the next person. Right? Don't be, uh, if, you're, if you're there sharing the gospel and somebody is not ready for it and they're rejecting it, don't cast your pearls before swine. It's not good for the swine and it's not good for you. They're not ready for it. Don't be, uh, don't be obnoxious for Jesus. Don't be a jerk for Jesus. If you're, if you're, if you're there someplace, if you're on the plane ride and, and the person next to you does not want to talk to you about Jesus, then don't just force it down their throat. Pray for them. Give your neighbor, give your friend, give your family member time to get to know you and to get to know the gospel. They may still reject you, but you're being obedient to God's word and you're giving them a chance to experience life. I was talking to a friend this week, and we were talking about evangelism to a certain uh, 
group within the Christian church that we believe is, is misguided and delusional and hurting the church. And he said, you know what? I, I have shared, I've tried to correct them time and time again. And every time I've been rejected and I, I've lost friends over this issue. If that's you, I would say, speak the truth in love, bless people. And if they're not ready to hear it, then move on. Hopefully the Lord will use that in his timing and his way to open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and to bring them life. That's the posture we have towards persecution. We're, we're going to face it, but we want to be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. And, and I think that will give us a posture that this is, this is the posture I want our church to have. And you're going to hear me say this a lot, uh, a posture that is honest, humble, and hopeful. We want to be honest about our Christian convictions. We want to be honest about what the Bible teaches because we believe it's good and we believe it's good for the life of the world. But we also want to be humble about it, not arrogant or proud. And it's because we're honest and hopeful about it that we can also humble, we can also be hopeful. We know that God can use it to bring life to us and to others. So he gives us this posture that endures persecution. And then lastly, he gives us promises that endure persecution. In verse 20, Jesus promises us that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us, right? He says that whenever you get in these situations where you're, you're brought before your people and you're being persecuted, he says, don't worry, right? You're going to know what to say. He says uh, in verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For, you're to, so for what you're to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. When you're persecuted, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Ask him. Stop. Pray. Breathe. Ask the Lord. What does it look like in this situation for me to be as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove? How can I speak life to this person in this situation? He gives us the promise that we have the Holy Spirit. We have everything you need. You have, you have the sword of the Spirit. You have the word of God, right? If you think about all the, the great mission travel stories, before they go on these great adventures, they always get the tools they need for the trip, right? Bilbo Baggins, what does he find in the cave? He finds Sting, the sword, and what does he do when, when Samwise and Frodo are on their great journey in the Lord of the Rings and they're trying to, to destroy the ring of power? What does Bilbo give them? He gives them Sting, the sword. And when the moment comes when they need to be saved, they can pull out Sting. And Sting helps them survive the, the, the evil forces. Right? In the midst of persecution, what do you have? You have the sword of the Spirit. Use it. Pray. Ask the Lord to help you. You have that promise. You also have this promise that you're going, those who endure persecution will have life. Look at verse 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is encouraging us, right? That, that, that enduring persecution is actually part of us moving towards salvation. Uh, that, that those who are being saved or uh, that persecution is not a sign of, of uh, inauthentic Christianity. It can be a sign of authentic Christianity, right? It's a sign of, of spiritual perseverance uh, as you move through persecution. 
Uh, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. The trials that we experience in persecution actually refine us for heaven. They actually purify us and change us and transform us. Uh, I love how Peter says this again. You could just read 1 Peter this week. It'd do you well. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that cherishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying rejoice in trials, because that's the the part of the way that you're actually prepared for glory. You're actually being refined for heaven. And God uses our perseverance through these trials to bring people to the gospel. Um, uh, one of my favorite stories about this, this sort of, uh, just this, this, just a great story of how the, a posture to persecution, uh, a, a good, a willingness to enter into it really can change lives. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield uh, is a Christian author and speaker. And in 1997, before she became a Christian, she was a very liberal professor uh, she was a lesbian, and she was a leftist activist. She was very antagonistic towards Christianity. And, and uh, she, there was a, a Promise Keepers rally uh, that was, I guess, in her area. And she, uh, she wrote an article about the Promise Keepers rally, and she called it the unholy trinity, the, the patriarchy, Republicans, and Jesus. Against all the, she wrote against all those things. And naturally, she got uh, fan mail and hate mail, And when she got her fan mail and hate mail, she would categorize them in one of two categories. Fan mail over here, hate mail over here. Well, she got a letter by one minister that she couldn't fit in either category. She didn't know what to do with it. Because this this pastor, his name was Ken Smith, he asked her questions like, how did you come to this interpretation? How do you know you're right? Do you believe in God? Uh, She said that he didn't attack her article He attacked her understanding that led to her article. So she said she wadded up, she threw it in the trash, she went away that night, but she couldn't get it out of her head. And so she went back to the the letter, she pulled it out, and in the letter, he had invited her over for dinner. And so she actually took him up on the invitation and went to his house for dinner, and she expected it to be this, this clash, this debate, this argument. And what she found was a place of hospitality and grace, a place where they asked questions and they dialogued in a healthy way. And that started a, a friendship that grew over the years where she began reading the Bible and then she began going to church and she began participating in the church and she slowly began to convert to Christianity. She said it wasn't easy. She actually called it a train wreck. That's the title of the article, My Trainwreck Conversion to Christianity. But in the end, she gave her life to Christ. She gave in. She quit rejecting him and the gospel and the, the, the goodness that he created for, for her and given to her. And she left behind her old life and she began a new life. And now she's an advocate for, for Christian family values and sexuality and the gospel And she is trying to spread that as far and wide as she can to the LGBT community. And she's inviting people into her home. She wrote a book called Gospel Comes with a House Key about hospitality and how we can be hospitable to people to share the gospel with them. 
She lost her life and she found it. And now she's repeating that pattern. She's losing her life for the sake of the gospel and other people are finding it through her ministry. That's how we endure persecution. That's why we endure persecution. Jesus gives us a posture, a perspective, and promises that allow persecution so that we can find life and so that others can find life as well. The only way we'll do that, though, is if we see Jesus laying down his life for us. You see, Jesus isn't asking his disciples to do anything in this passage that he didn't already do. He went before them. He suffered rejection. He suffered persecution. He suffered um, slander and gossip. He went from uh, towns where he was accepted and towns where he was rejected. He did all that because he loved these helpless and harassed sheep who were also wolves. And it was through his death and resurrection that he brought life to us. And it's through our death and resurrection each day, each moment of every day, that we experience life and we bring life to others. So as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, as we think about how to respond to this passage, let's pray. (laughs) Let's pray, one, that we would be on mission with Jesus, that we would believe that his gospel is true and good and beautiful, that we would embrace it and that we'd be on mission for him. And then let's also pray that when the persecution comes, that we remember Jesus' teachings, that we would embrace it, and that God would use it to bring life to us and to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we-